Hello and welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean, and today I am with another pastor at Sacred City, Sacred City Moline, Pastor Sam Schmidt. Welcome back to the podcast. Glad to be back. And the Sacred City Life Podcast is a podcast about following Jesus in the normal, everyday rhythms of life. And so we want to talk about things that interest you. We want to talk about things that help you follow Jesus, help you walk with Jesus. It is not easy, never has been, mm-hmm. but it is uniquely challenging in the culture and the society in which we belong. Um, technology has made it a little more challenging. Some um, antagonistic behaviors toward, from the culture is making things a little more difficult. There's a lot of things that are going on out there. But, but it's nothing new, really. But it's nothing new. It's nothing new. The world, the flesh, and the devil, y'all, right. they're all after us. And they're all kind of trying to quench our faith. And one of the great aids to our walk with the Lord is prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, prayer is not easy, though it comes naturally. We all desire to connect with God. It is not easy. It is not undisciplined. It doesn't just happen. You have to practice it, just like nobody naturally throws a great curveball. You have to practice throwing a curveball. Prayer is the same way. You have to practice it. And uh, when Jesus' followers uh, watched him pray, they were blown away. They were like, okay, we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Like, we thought we prayed before, but after praying with this guy, clearly we're not doing it right. And Jesus could get resources. He could get, you know, when he was um, tired, he would get rested through prayer. Uh, when he was scattered, he could get his thoughts back. When he was grieved, he could be comforted. When he had to make a decision, he went to prayer and it enabled him to make the right decision. Like he, he prayed all night long when he chose the, the 12 apostles yeah. and he didn't make a mistake, right? <clears throat> um, so we want to go to Jesus and we want to say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And thankfully, what that means for us is just going to the scriptures Opening, opening up the, 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 the Gospel of Matthew and reading where Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And what we've decided to do here, as your interest holds, we're going to go um, every other week, basically, on this podcast talking about prayer for the next, well, maybe one more time or something. Let's just say that because we're in a six-week series right now. And the last time we kind of taught about uh, preparing ourselves to pray um, finding a, you know, a good place to do it. We've, we've talked about some things in the, that regard. You can go back and listen to that podcast. Um, but today we want to cover the kind of the next petition. So this is where we're going. Let me just read the prayer. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. That's who we're praying to. God, our Father, through the gospel, through the work of Jesus, Um, He's a sovereign God. He's in heaven. He can do all things. He's not like our dads. He's not finite. He doesn't make mistakes. He's not um, distant from us. Uh, Hallowed be your name. We want God's name to be worshipped. We want to have God on the throne of our heart. Mm -hmm. That's what prayer is about, getting God on the throne of our heart in the beginning. And then he says this, pray your kingdom come your will be done. Okay, now now we're getting into a, some some things that are a little confusing. 
Sam, what does it mean? Or first off, what is God's kingdom? Yeah. Well, if you think about kingdom, a kingdom has three basic elements. There's a king, there's a people who submit to or are ruled by that king, and there's a location. Uh, and so God's kingdom is where God is king, where people are responding to him, where Jesus is on the throne of our hearts, and where he is ruling. Uh, and we kind of get into discussion of the already but not yet, where God is set up his kingdom in a locale, specifically in our hearts, wherever Christians are, Jesus is reigning as king, but there's also this future tense to it, uh, the kingdom of God coming one day in its fullness being consummated. <clears throat> yeah, I think, so that there's a lot there. So with the kingdom, there's a king, and I think this is the mis- what's the misconception people have. There's a king, that's part one, but there is people willingly submitting themselves to his rule, two. And then three, a, a, a reign, right? A place right. where his reign happens, right? And so what, where I think people get confused <clears throat> is you don't have a kingdom if you just have a king. If you have a king and people rebelling and people running and nobody submits, that's not a kingdom, right? right? <clears throat> and so in the biblical sense, it's not a kingdom. And so the problem is in the Bible, we see like two chapters of a kingdom, right? Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah. God's, God's there. He's got some people. He creates them. They're mm-hmm. obeying him. Everything's going well. He shares dominion with them. Yeah, they're they're vi- they're kind of under rulers. They're they're, and then he's got a place, right? Eden, the earth. It's God's kingdom. But then with the fall, everything breaks. Everything shatters. And now here's what we need to see. When God kicks Adam and Eve out of Eden and curses the earth, the earth is no longer technically God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. God's kingdom now exists in heaven. In heaven, uh, everybody submits submits to the will of God, right? Everybody loves God, right? And so there's this disconnect in Genesis 3 between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And the whole Bible is the story of God promising, foreshadowing, fulfilling the restoration of that kingdom of God. Yeah. And the, think of Egypt, the kingdom of man coming in Egypt where Pharaoh's the king and he's not a very good one. People don't like his reign. He's, you know, oppressive. And what God is doing uh, in, in the Exodus is really saying, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to be the king. You're going to be my people. And I'm going to bring you into this land that I've promised. Yeah. And from there, it's just <clears throat> this unfolding of really what God means in a truer, more uh, gospel scoped sense and through the New Testament, through Jesus. So as, as we read the Bible, there's this progressive revelation that God is doing this thing. Um, I mean, it starts all the way. It starts all the way in the beginning. God promises with Adam and Eve sin. He promises to to crush the serpent. That's basically he's killing the the king of this world. He promises to kill the king of this world, and then we see him promise all throughout. When he chooses Abraham, he says, "I'm going to give you. A, you're going to be my people. I'll be your God. I'll give you a place." You mm-hmm. see this kingdom language. And then, like you just said, with the Exodus, you see um, it promised again, and it kind of, some of it, a redemptive piece take place, and, and people are redeemed to, to have a, to be with God, to have his rules. They get yeah. they get the Bible, or they get the Bible, my bad. They get the Ten Commandments, right? Uh-huh. And then a place, you're going to the promised land. Yeah. And then you see that kind of get even 
narrowed down a little bit tighter with with uh, Israel and then Jerusalem and then the temple. Mm-hmm. God wants a people. He wants his people to love him and submit to him. And he wants and he has a place. Yeah. Well, and then you get the prophets. So then we get the kingdom set up, actually. Dave, Davidic kingdom. That's a foreshadowing of the king to come. Mm-hmm. The kingdom always goes poorly. Yeah. Sinners mess everything up. They're not willingly submissive to the will of God. Then you get the prophets. They come and they promise. They're, they're promising or proclaiming that the kingdom is still on its way. It's future yeah. tense. And then you get the probably the most shocking turn of events is in the Gospels. Jesus shows up and he says, the kingdom is at hand. Mm-hmm. He comes in Mark 1 proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, saying the kingdom is here. Yep. The kingdom is among you. And surprisingly, we see some aspects of the kingdom, right? Um, what is it? So what did it look like when Jesus said the kingdom has come? What did that look like? Well, you go through and you can kind of see how Jesus, well, in the Sermon on the Mount specifically, Jesus shows us how the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of man, this upside down kingdom. But even through Jesus' life and his ministry, really what you see is a matter of pushing back darkness, the evil, the fallenness of the world. Jesus is restoring sight to the blind. He's giving food to the hungry. He's being mindful of the poor, setting the captives free. And he's using this language of how really what the kingdom is about is the darkness being pushed back through God's power. Yeah, I think it's also helpful to think of like what it was like in Eden, what it's like in heaven now. That reality is breaking in in a redemptive way to this earth. So what's broken is being restored. Mm-hmm. What's sick is being healed. Yeah. What's dark is being made light. And so you see the outsider brought in. The ra- you know, like racially, like Jesus crosses racial lines. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you see the poor being exalted to places of honor yep. instead of the rich. Yep. Right? You see this total reversal of the ways of the kingdom of this world. The good looking, the smart, the powerful, the rich, they get the seat at the table. Yeah. Well, when Jesus says the kingdom shows up, it's the, it's the, it's the flip of that, yeah. flip side of all that. Right. Right. The broken get brought in. The meek inherit the earth. The meek, like you're saying, yeah, the meek inherit the earth. All these things happen. So, and we see people get forgiven too. Like that Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That blew people away and drove people crazy. Right. Show this different sort of kingdom that wasn't necessarily a political kingdom, but now there's this spiritual, it's like a thorough, it's it's an exhaustive, extensive kingdom. Yeah. So everywhere the curse happened on the kingdom of man, the kingdom of God reverses that. So those who are separated from God can be made right. Those who need forgiveness can be can, can be forgiven um, on down the line, right? Those who are far from God can be brought in. And so, and then let's just say this too. So Jesus says the kingdom is here, but in surprising reversal, all the apostles are like, yes, this rocks. So when will you give the kingdom to restore the kingdom to Israel? Right, the triumphal entry on, and uh, yeah. yeah, and Jesus just basically says, wrong question, boys. <laughs> uh, you don't know what you're talking about. And he says, I'm going to go to my father's house and prepare rooms for you. I've still got work to do. And it's better for you that I go. And I, of course, they freak out and say, no, we want you to stay. Don't go. Don't, don't. Peter, you know, puts his foot in his mouth. Don't die. I'll never let you die. Not on my watch, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I got to. And so he goes and he, well, first off, he, 
he accomplishes the kingdom on the cross, mm-hmm. right? He purchases our salvation. Um, he's, he can now say the kingdom is now. Right. right. The fact that he rescues us from the dominion of darkness. There's a sense where in the fallen nature of, uh, of our hearts where we actually are inclined to want to be in darkness, to rule our own way, to, be, to follow the patterns of the world. And Jesus says, look, this is what I'm doing for you in the gospel. I'm ransoming you. I'm pulling you out of the darkness. I'm setting you into the kingdom of my marvelous light where God's reign is perfect, where it's good, yeah. where it's enjoyable. So through the work of the cross, he transfers us out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of his son. We're in this new kingdom now, and we're in, we get in this kingdom um, by faith. We put our trust in Jesus, and we submit our wills to him. We say, we want to be your happy uh, regents. We want to be ruled by you, and yeah. you know, joyful, we joyfully do that. And so Jesus, when Jesus was resurrected and then was ascended to the right hand of God, he inaugurated let's just say the whole life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, he inaugurated his kingdom. Start of a new era. Start of a new era. Everything after this is just called the last days mm-hmm. in the Bible, in the, in the way the Bible speaks. Um, but he did, he did point forward to this coming day, and we were going to study that in the book of Revelation, when the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, as Revelation tells us, comes down and becomes the kingdom of man. Or So basically... What is the kingdom of man now? This world, the kingdom of heaven comes now and restores and renews this earth in a way that God now reigns as king on the earth and everyone here will be submissive to his will, willingly, lovingly, joyfully submissive to his will. And so the goal of the kingdom of God and the goal of the Bible isn't to get us to heaven when we die. It's to get heaven to earth where we rule and reign with Christ right. forever in a restored earth, mm-hmm. right? And so <clears throat> that's that's pretty good news. Right. So we want to see that. So now you've already mentioned it. We live now in this already but not yet. We're living by faith. We've been adopted into the family. We've been brought into the kingdom of the Son, but the kingdom has not been consummated yet. It won't be until Christ comes back the second time. Mm-hmm. So for us to pray, your kingdom come, what does that mean? in our everyday life? Well, I think it has some personal implications of, <clears throat> is Jesus sitting on the throne? Is he directing? Is he sending me forward and to do what I'm doing? Is he ruling over my life? I think it has some communal implications, right? Are we together as the church, as our missional communities, are we living under the rule and reign of Jesus together? And as a church, are we focused on the mission of God, of bringing heaven to earth okay what do you mean by that bringing heaven to earth um well again going back to where jesus is king where people are responding to him lovingly according to his rule and then that um that the earth is no longer consumed by darkness but we see pockets of light breaking out right Mm. yeah so it brings up well, first off, let me answer that too. What does it mean to pray for his kingdom to come? Um, I think what it means is to have broken things restored, to have hurting things healed, to have faithless things made faithful, to have weak things made strong, mm. right? Proud things made humble. 
um, <clears throat> it, it means that we see God's upside down kingdom, <clears throat> excuse me, where <clears throat> the lamb, the lamb reigns, the, the gentle, the meek yeah. rule. So it means for that type of reality, because it means the anti-American <laughs> kingdom yeah. to live like we're living in it now. We know big fish eat little fish, right? We know um, that those that hustle, right? They're whatever, the early bird gets the worm. Right. Those that hustle win the contracts. Those that get, get out there and crush their day. Those who put themselves in front. Those who self-promote those whose Instagram game is on point, those people get the contracts. Yep. Those people get the accolades. Those people have their best life right now. And Jesus says, when we pray for his kingdom to come on earth, that is in heaven, we're praying for his will to be done right here, which is upside down for that. So mm -hmm. we're, we're praying for his future reality to be made real right now and that is a subversive prayer yeah to people like us who want um our kingdom to be you know and our name to be at the top of the list and and to be healthy wealthy prosperous it's a subversive it's a submersive prayer very much so right uh, but but there's one thing we can we need to clarify we need to be careful about we cannot bring God's kingdom. We can pray for his kingdom to come, but we can't usher it in. We can't bring it. We can't make it happen. There's some um, <clears throat> charismatic kooks out there uh, right now who are always talking about this language. They're sharing this kingdom language, but they're, they believe that they have some kind of secret sauce to bring God's kingdom now because they, they have some kind of hyper faith where they, they guarantee people healing, they guarantee we can do it, we can do it. Um, and, and that's to misunderstand the kingdom. Mm -hmm. This Jesus says, he didn't say to pray, you know, to go out and make the kingdom happen. He said to pray for God's kingdom to come. Mm -hmm. God's kingdom comes, God's kingdom comes, and it comes two ways. It comes through his word, and it comes through his spirit. That's the only way yep. the kingdom comes. So, as we submit to his revealed will, what he has said to us in the Bible, as we study the Bible, as we pray the Bible, as we obey the Bible, um, as we follow the Spirit, as we submit to the Spirit, then we, that's how we, uh, that's the way the kingdom comes. So as I look at my own life and say, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm too abrasive in this way. I need gentleness, right? Mm -hmm. And so I believe the gospel and I go to the scriptures and I'm asking the spirit, I say, the Holy Spirit produces gentleness. I need this in my life. And, and as I'm believing the word and, and trusting in God's promises and following the spirit, and I begin to produce the fruit of gentleness, this is not me producing the fruit right, of gentleness, right. right? This is the spirit and the word producing gentleness in me. This is the kingdom breaking in right right which is different from like you know i'm just going to throw my assistant under the bus a little bit ben is a great assistant but ben and ben is gentle right when when ben is gentle it's not necessarily the spirit doing that 
It's just his natural proclivity. It's his natural personality, right? Mm-hmm. And when I'm being bold, <laughs> it's not, you know, or courageous. It's not necessarily the Holy Spirit. Sure. It's just my natural personality. It's not necessarily the kingdom breaking it. But when you're op- operating upside down to your own ways, mm-hmm. that's the kingdom breaking yeah. it, right? So <clears throat> we see this in missional community life. Um, some examples I used on Sunday was when a... So this, this culture is pushing women into a certain mold. And this mold is, you don't have to be defined by your uh, family life. You don't have to be just a mother. You don't have to be just a, you know, a, a wife. You can also have a career. And we are not against women having careers by any stretch of the imagination. But basic, but we are against this idea of go out and now put your identity in your work. Right, right? absolutely. It's, you know, and so... When a woman who's grown up in that environment and she's a high performer, she's, she's successful, um, she's, she could go out and make a lot of money. When a woman like that says, you know what, I feel called to stay at home and shepherd my children and, and, and use these, year, these formative years to disciple them and mother them, that's the kingdom of God breaking. Absolutely. In. You know, when, uh, and I, I just use some of these, some of these examples on, on Sunday morning. Um, but when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, this is the stuff that we want to see. We're not just praying for miracles. Mm-hmm. We're not just praying for souls to say, be saved. Are we praying for souls to be saved? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But I think so many of us, when, we, when we're praying your kingdom come, the only thing we're thinking about is either Jesus, get me out of here, mm-hmm. right? Come back or save souls. Mm-hmm. We're not thinking about how about your kingdom come? What if Christians felt like, you know what? Pollution is a result of the fall. God has something to say about that. What if God's kingdom come meant we could restore our natural habitats? We could restore our forests. We could restore our cities. What if we started thinking about ways to, you know, make our city a cleaner place? Mm-hmm. Like that. And when we go out and clean and we restore something, that in a small way, I know it seems weird and maybe too natural, but that's the kingdom of God breaking in. Yeah. Because the future reality is there will be no pollution. God's going to restore the whole earth. Right. Right? So <clears throat> we had a lot of questions. Um, they were kind of all over the place a little bit, so we're going to try to um, help help us out a little bit. So so that's what it means to pray your kingdom come. And then he says, he follows it up with your will be done on earth as it, as, it is, as it is in heaven. And before we get into the will of God, we had some questions on that. Let's just first answer this. How does a person get into the kingdom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Jesus says you must be born again. Uh, Nicodemus comes to him in the middle of the night what's going on with the kingdom stuff? He says, you got to be born again. What does that mean to be born again? To have faith in Jesus and what he's doing in rescuing us with life, death, resurrection from the dominion of darkness and setting up his rule and reign as the king. Yeah, so we are all born into the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of the enemy, yeah, into the kingdom born of flesh. Christian. So that, that's key. There's, there's no way to get into the kingdom by birth, by any natural means. When Adam lost it, he was pushed outside of it. God even put uh, angels with flaming swords guarding the passageway back in. There was no way back into the kingdom of God by natural means. The only way was through, eventually, the perfect work of Jesus Christ. 
And so we had one, one person ask, you know, I've been, I was born into a Christian family. I was baptized as a child. Um, I've, I've always believed. Do I still need to be born again? Um, well, the, the question is kind of misconstrued just a little bit. Uh, first off, do I still need to be born again? The o- yes. Mm-hmm. The only way into the kingdom is to be born again. But that doesn't necessarily mean we know when that happened. Right. Absolutely. A testimony like she has is the testimony I'm praying for my children. Mine too. That they've always believed and their heart. And so whatever that was, maybe it was two years old, maybe it was three years old, maybe it was six years old, maybe it was nine years old, but a moment where their faith became their own, mm-hmm. the faith of their fathers that I've been praying over them and, 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 uh, you know, they've been seeing the sacraments at church. They've been hearing the liturgy. They've been confessing of their sins. They've been around the gospel. Um, you know, it's my faith that's kind of doing that for them. But in a moment in time, it's their own. Right. I believe it. It's true. It's real. I don't, I don't, you know, if you raise a child in, in, in the way that they should go, like the scripture teaches us in the scriptures, I think this is the testimony you want. Yeah. Right. But so she was, I would say she was born again somewhere. Sometime. If you love Jesus, right? Yeah. If you're submitting willingly to his rule, Repenting you have sin, been yeah. born again. Absolutely. Romans 1 tells us that we are in our natural birth <clears throat> set against the will of God. We are his enemies. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we, we don't want, you know, we want to rebel from him. We want to do our own thing. We don't want to submit to him. And so if you are submitting to him and if you do love him, it's, evidence that you've been that you've been born again even if you don't remember the the day and hour Mm -hmm. it happened and even go back to the fruit of the spirit that's you see increasing in your life that's another piece of hey there's evidence that god's done something in my heart that i've been admitted into the kingdom i'm a citizen of heaven yeah yeah and so the next question kind of gets in all i mean it's going to get us into a mess if we want it to but i don't i don't i don't plan on getting into too much of what is often labeled Calvinism. Um, it's, I mean, that's kind of a misnomer. It's really, you know, it goes all the way. This, the, the, the idea of God's sovereign will and God sovereignly electing, you know, salvation for some goes all the way back to the Bible, to Paul, to St. Augustine. And, but we get into this when we hear of God's will, God's will. He, he says, pray for God's will to be done. And then I've had some questions like, well, if God is sovereign and nobody gets into his kingdom except by believing in Jesus, why do some believe in Jesus and some don't, Mm -hmm. right? Well, the answer for us and for the Bible, the reason that some believe in Jesus and not everyone go to hell, because if we were all left to our own devices, we would all go to hell. Heaven be empty. Heaven would be empty. But God preemptively pursues us through his spirit and through his word and through his election and cuts through our um, bars of iron, cuts through our calloused heart and calls us Mm -hmm. to himself. And that's why you respond to the gospel. Right. Not because... You've elevated yourself, you've taken three steps forward and God met you halfway. It's He's worked in a way where your heart has been loosed of the chains of wanting to be in darkness and to actually want what is good. Exactly. I always say, I sometimes say it like this, before you chose Christ, your wanter was changed. Mm. <laughs> you wanted to be your own God before 
And then all of a sudden now I want there to be a God and I hear the gospel and I say, yes, I believe that. So God has to go in and do something to the spirit in you before you believe the gospel. Um, And so, and, and, I, I, I could, we could get in there. We could go to Romans 9. We could go to th- these different places and, and, and prove that. We could go to Ephesians. We're dead in our trespasses and sin, but God made us alive through Christ. God made us alive, not we chose to believe and then God made us alive. Like, yeah. how does a dead man choose to believe? And it, do- <clears throat> it doesn't even make sense. So um, no one gets into the kingdom unless God calls them. Jesus said this all through the Gospel of John. Um, I'm not. He even said, I don't even pray for everybody. I only pray for the ones that you gave me. Mm. Jesus made statements like that. He said, nobody comes to the Father unless, you know, I, unless he's drawn by the Spirit, unless I, I, I get him there. So Jesus made all these statements. So, um, what, so, but then you have scriptures, and people come out and say this. Well, but then you have scriptures like, but God doesn't desire or will, the word is will, for any to be saved. So to how, perish. To perish. I'm sorry. To perish. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> We'd be having a different conversation here. Yeah, my bad. My bad. <laughs> um, God doesn't desire or will for any to perish, but all to have eternal life. Right. So what does it mean? And there's a lot of confusion out there. What does it mean to pray for God's will to be done? Yeah, some, some people have kind of um, parsed out God's will into three different ideas. And I think what you're talking about is God's will of disposition, like what he wants to see happen, his basic inclination um, in terms of, of desire. He desires for people to know him, for him to be king, for him to rule, for his kingdom to break out. Um, and so in that sense, when, when we get to that passage of God wills that none would perish, that's kind of what he desires that none perish. But yeah. then there are a couple other ways to approach God's will. Yeah, so we've got three primary ways the Bible speaks about um, the will of God. There's two different Greek words uh, in the New Testament. Thelema and bolema are the two words, and they, they kind of connote a little bit of nuance. And here's the, the reality. So you've got what you just, God's kind of disposition, his feeling. He's a benevolent God. He's kind. In his heart of hearts, he doesn't want anyone to perish. But that's different than God's sovereign will. Mm-hmm. And God's sovereign will is when he says, let there be light. Boom, there's light. Right. Jesus, when Jesus walked up to the tomb of Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come forth. That was his, that he was making that happen. That was his sovereign will. It was not a conversation. He did not get Lazarus's opinion on being resurrected. If Lazarus might have been enjoying himself in heaven, right? Didn't mm-hmm. want to come back. Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus comes out of the grave. And I will say, that's how God calls. That's how God calls every Christian who responds to him. God speaks your name, you by name. He speaks you by name and calls you forth into salvation, right? So that's God's sovereign will. Everything in that sense, he says, he desires, he wants, right. happens. What he wills is accomplished. Yes. He's in heaven. He does all that he pleases. Yeah, his plan can't be thwarted. Exactly. And then you have a sec- the second way this w- idea of will is used, or a third now that we've already said it. So we, we said his disposition. We said his sovereign will. And now this third way is his preceptive will. And his think of precept. 
preceptive as precepts. It's his laws. It's his commands. So God doesn't, God says, do not murder. He doesn't want anyone to murder. So Mm -hmm. we have his will two ways there. His desire is for people not to murder. To live. And his preceptive will his is don't murder people, Mm -hmm. right? That's, That's his law. But obviously that's not his sovereign will because if it was his sovereign will, no one would murder. Right. Right. So he has um, allowed people to break his prescriptive, his uh, preceptive preceptive will for some greater purpose. Right. right? And I think the greater purpose is so eventually we would would kill the son of God Mm -hmm. and we would experience the love of God in Christ. That's, That's the big deal. But we need to be clear on this because some people can say, um, God can't will for the elect to be saved because he wills for all to be saved. Well, those are two different, we're using the will of God in two, two different ways. Yeah. And people get really hung up on this idea of the will of God. Um, am I praying the will of God? Am I living in the will of God? What's the will of God today? Does he will for me to ha- wear a blue tie or a red tie? Now I'm joking, but I've literally talked to people who, in in a in a sense, feel that way. Mm-hmm. What's God's will for me? What college? What classes? What major? What career? What, what spouse? Yeah. It go, what spouse? What city? And for people who read the Bible like it's you know God's perfect path to a good life. The Bible's not very helpful. No, when um, it comes to choosing a Quad spouse. Cities isn't mentioned in there. Yeah, yeah, and na- no, and not people by name. Obviously, we can we, you know, we want a Christian spouse. We have you know character traits that we're looking for, et cetera, et cetera. But hopefully, you can understand what what I'm saying. But what is what is Jesus telling us? What does he want for us when he's saying, "Your will be done on earth as it in heaven, as it is in heaven." He's not talking about his, uh, his desires, right, necessarily. He's not talking about his sovereign will. Obviously, God's sovereign will is being done right now right. on this earth. So he's, he's speaking about God's prescriptive will. That's what's going on in heaven. Maybe God's desire, too, because in heaven, it's what God desires. In yeah. heaven, is everybody's obeying his laws. Everybody's right. worshiping him. Everybody's loving one another. So when we're praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying, may my heart joyfully submit to your rule. Yeah. May my kids obey your laws. Mm -hmm. May my city, may my nation, may my MC. That's what we're, that's what we're praying. Yeah. And, um, and so let me clarify a couple, couple things here. When it comes to the will of God, because we had a lot of questions on it, when it comes to the will of God, this can be misconstrued. I hesitate to use it, but hopefully I can, it'll make sense and then I can clarify it a bit. St. Augustine said something like, love God and do what you will. What he's not saying is, if I love God, I can just go, I have a license to sin. I can go do what, do whatever I want. Because then we would say, then you don't love God. Right, right, right. <laughs> you love you because you're disobeying his law. You're disobeying his revealed will in scripture. Um, you're not following the spirit. You don't, you don't love God. 
what he's saying there, and he's getting to something very deep, and Peter Kreeft kind of says it in a different way. Peter Kreeft says it like this. If all of me knows and believes that God loves me, then none of me would want to disobey him. Yeah. And part, part of our fallen nature is not knowing how to reciprocate the love of God and God giving us commands is sort of, this is how you live inside of God's love. This is how you show him. Oh, John, John says that picture perfect, you know, clear in, in 1 John, you love me if you obey me, if you obey Jesus, basically. Yeah. You love Jesus if you obey him. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that have to do with the asking God's will to be done? Well, Soren Kierkegaard, very smart guy. I'm not going to get into it all. Um, he wrote a book called Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. And so basically what he's saying is, so we're the reason that we are so messed up is because we have kind of two wills going on right now, right? Yeah. We have the will of God, God's prescriptive will that we know we should obey and we mm-hmm. should follow. And yet we have our own will that is rebellious. Yeah. And so we have a divided, we have, in a sense, two wills, right? Yeah. In a sense. So we're divided in our heart. Well, that means that's the definition of disintegration. We, we're not, we don't have integrity. Integrity is to will one thing, to all to want to do the right thing and then to do the right thing and to choose the right thing, mm-hmm. right? But we have a, a divided broken will. And so Kierkegaard says purity of heart is to will one thing. And that one thing to come back to Augustine is to love God and to love God in such a way that I want his will to happen in my life. Right. Right. And so this is what Jesus is getting at when he's teaching us to pray your will be done. He's not wanting to confuse us and walk around in a, some kind of muddled frame of mind thinking, is this the will of God? Is this the will of God? Is this the will of God? You know, does, does God want me to be keto? You know, what can I eat? What's on the will of God to eat? Uh, no, love God and do what you will. Love God and have one will. Be of one will. Want what God wants. And we know what God wants by studying his scripture and by following his spirit. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, and so do you have anything else you want to say on that? Well, I, was just, I think that there are probably some helpful ways, like when you're getting to the really practical, uh, trying to determine what is the will of God, like what city should I live in, who should I marry? Um, I think, yes, studying the word, knowing uh, what it is God's wanting us to look for, um, the manner in which we live rather than necessarily what specifically it is we do, right? We can, we can be a Christ follower at this job place in this city, and we can do it in this job place in this city. Mm. Um, and just... Um, knowing that God's after, like, really when we're after the will of God, how does he want me to live regardless of where I'm at? But then even getting to the practical stuff, having community um, to help us sort through, is this a decision where Jesus is king of my life and I'm following Jesus, or is this a decision where I'm still kind of functioning as king, I'm chasing money, I'm chasing prestige, I'm chasing reputation, and having a community be able to, to kind of help us decipher and uh, uh, discern what it is that we're really chasing or who's our king in that moment. So how do you know the will of God? One, you have to know the Bible. Two, you have to know Jesus. You have to know his like disposition. Like what would Jesus, literally what would Jesus do here? What would his, what's his desire for me? And uh, you have to listen to the spirit. 
and with the listening to spirit is listening to your community, having a, sp- a, a community that knows the Bible and can mm-hmm. help speak, speak it into you. Um, and then if you're choosing, Hey, if you got two, if you got two dudes who love Jesus and they're committed to a church and you know what, they're both exactly what you want, then, Hey, cast lots. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Flip a coin. And whatever happens is the will of God. Let's just clarify that. Whatever happens is the will of God. Yeah. Whatever career you choose, it becomes the will right. of God. God's going to use it now in his will. In his well, and we will. see that in the story of Jacob where we see, you know, his brothers are making decisions, obviously, that necessarily aren't good. They're bad. They're meant for his harm. But how God in his sovereignty and his Joseph. power, Joseph, I yeah. said Jacob. Joseph, you know, God takes it and he, he works it for his good. Yeah. And so we can trust in God's power in that sense. So we had one prayer or one question that said, what do you pray for your children? I've said a little bit of that last time, but I pray all kinds of things for my children. But this is the number one prayer prayer that I pray for my children. I pray that they would will one thing, that they would love God, mm-hmm. that God would change their heart, that, that God would soften their heart, that, they, that, that Jesus would mean more to them than Fortnite, my son, and more than baby dolls and more than looking pretty, more than all these things that they would desire to love God and honor him mm-hmm. by obeying him all their life. That's the one thing. Yeah. So I want to kind of end our time. It's gonna be a little bit shorter today. I think I want to end our time by reading this prayer by Soren Kierkegaard called to will one thing. So let me read it. Father in heaven, what are we without you? What is all that we know? Vast accumulation though it be, but a chipped fragment if we do not know you. What is all our striving? Could it ever encompass a world but a half-finished work if we do not know you? You, the one who is one thing and who is all. So may you give to the intellect wisdom to comprehend that one thing to the heart, sincerity to receive this and this only, to the will, purity that wills only one thing. In prosperity, may you grant perseverance to will one thing. Amid distraction, collectedness to will one thing. In suffering, patience to will one thing. You that gives both the beginning and the completion, may you early, at the dawn of the day, give to the young the resolution to will one thing. As the day wanes, may you give to the old a renewed remembrance of that first resolution, that the first may be like the last, and the last like the first. In possession of a life that has willed only one thing, to know God. Thank you, guys. We would love for you to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. We will be back in a couple weeks. If you have any questions, we would love to hear from you. God bless you, and we will see you soon.